What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a very special episode today. We are, well, first and foremost, Ken Milam is actually here. Say hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. Hey, y'all. <laughs> so Ken I'm is, here. I made it. Ken is here. He is on a headset and he is literally in his truck. So that's why yep. he sounds like that at the moment. But yep. we are joined by a very, very special guest. And we are going to do an entire honey immersive episode here. We have from the American Honey Tasting Society, Miss Marina Marchese. And she is a hailing from Connecticut at the moment, correct? Yep. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us, Marina. Um, just so everybody kind of gets up to speed, if you remember the episode we did with Tara Chapman on honey tasting, this is the lady that actually does the certification courses that Tara was talking about. So we have gone straight to the source and uh, we have sent some samples up to Connecticut and we're going to go through today and taste these and just kind of talk honey and talk some of the fun stuff here and uh, see where it takes us. So thank you very much for joining us. Welcome. Um, how would you like to proceed? <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. And um, I this is one of my favorite things to do is to taste new samples of honey with other people and talk about it and learn about it. So I'm really excited about the samples that you sent me. And um, what I can do is I can start off with a little talk about how we evaluate honey and then maybe we could just jump in and taste together. Sure, that, that sounds great. So a little bit about my background. Um, I started beekeeping back in 2000, very naively as a hobbyist. And I tell people when I started beekeeping, it was a little bit before um, we were talking about organic and local food and farmers markets and before the, you know, the even before um, colony collapse started in like 2006, um, I guess it was, or 16. But um, so I just naively, naively started beekeeping. I had a, a neighbor who, who mentored me and um, I had no idea what I was doing. I was actually terrified of bees until <laughs> met his bees and they were all calm and he's out there, you know, with his bare hands. And um, I tasted the fresh honey out of the hive and it was like the most delicious thing that I ever had because like most people, I grew up with the plastic little bear that crystallized and, you know, it just really never tasted good. So we never used it. Yep. But um, so fast forward, I got my first honey harvest and it took me about a year and a half before my bees actually made any amount of honey. And I thought, this is really too precious. I'm a little bit of a foodie. And I thought, this is even more difficult than making like wine. And why are beekeepers selling this precious liquid gold for like $6 at the farmer's market? I couldn't understand that. So I got my first, you know, dozen bottles of honey when I did my harvest and I set up a little table at the farmer's market and being a designer, I had to pick out really beautiful bottles and um, I had a high price on my honey back then I was charging $10 and people would come to the table and say, that's really pretty. What is that? 
And I would say, that's my honey from my own honeybees. And they would say, um, well, how much is it? And I said, $10. And then they would just walk away and get a donut, you know, <laughs> at the next <laughs> farmer's market table. And I was so upset because I was trying to explain to them how healthy honey was, how good it was, how the bees made it. Well, the next time I was at the market, I put some honey out for them to taste. And when they tasted it, that's when they started to really pay attention. Like, this is really good. This tastes so much better than the stuff in the stores. So it was a little bit of a hard sell. But every year my bees made something a little bit different. The honey tasted different. I joined the local bee club and we traded honeys. I went to some of the local conferences. I really got hooked in pretty early. And I started to notice how different the honeys were. Um, and I thought, well, how come your honey's so dark and yours is so light? And they would say, well, my bees are, you know, near buckwheat, or I live in a, a prairie, or I live in a forest, and everybody's bees were on different flowers. And that's when I started to put it together that honey was really similar to wine. It, it really paralleled this concept of terroir, meaning wherever your bees are gathering nectar from is going to dictate what the honey is going to look, smell, and taste like. So I naively started asking people, beekeepers that had been doing this much longer than me, where's the database? Um, so for beekeepers can know if my honey is really light and it tastes fruity and grassy, is, you know, what's the flower that the bees are on? Right. Or this honey is really dark. Where's that database? You know, we have so much information for beekeepers, but where's that database that tells me that, you know, if my bees are visiting clover, it's going to look like this. And nobody had a database. And I thought, well, we do this with wine and we do this with chocolate and cheese. How come honey doesn't have a database? So there was no database, but I started a little business, my, my honey business, and I started selling honey and buying honey because I became fascinated with it. So P.S., long story short, I end up at the National Honey Show in London and thousands of honey samples later talking to the honey judges and again, looking for this database and not finding anything. Um, and then I end up in Italy because um, my family's Italian and I ended up at um, like a, a honey festival and they were doing a honey tasting and I started talking to them and they were passing the honey samples around and they were able to tell us what floral source that honey came from, what it looked like, what it smelled like and what it tasted like. And my jaw dropped and, and that's the moment that I figured out that they had really done this work in Italy. So um, I talked to them further and they told me that they had honey tasting classes or they call it sensory analysis of honey. And I quickly was able to figure out how to get to class because it was only in Italian and it was only um, held at certain times very randomly for Italian people who wanted to learn about Italian honey. So when I took the first class, it was a four day intensive. We tasted about 18 different honeys from Italy and they really created this amazing database of all the honeys in Italy and all of the floral sources. And that's when I really started to think about getting this information to the US so that we can start a database. So we can start discussing honey in terms of describing it with a, like a real vocabulary rather than just saying, well, this honey is really sweet 
and this honey is delicious and this is very um, strong or, or, or not. So to come up with real words to describe honey and to start the process of, of a database so that beekeepers will know what kind of honey they have. And, you know, it helps in so many different ways, sensory training. I think that's awesome. Um, so the, the closest thing that most of us would know of, as, as you mentioned with all the different things there, that this kind of reminds me of is like wine tasting. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. So did you have any experience with wine tasting prior to this and, and just decide that that was kind of like, it was a perfect thing just to transfer that over? Or is that something that you picked up from the Italian courses directly? Well, I did. So I was, after I had gone to the National Honey Show in London, I was really looking for this database and they didn't have anything. And I wanted to learn how to taste honey. I thought there was a possibility that why not we do this with wine? So I did, I ended up taking a job part-time with a wine company. And um, I figured, well, if I can learn how to taste wine, I can sort of apply it to honey and sort of figure this out on my own. So I worked with a wine company for a couple of years and I sat down with their sommelier and, you know, I was trained on all the wines and I was trained how to taste and what to look for. So that was really helpful because once I really had sort of sensory training, I can started, I started to apply it to our honeys that I was handling and, and learning about and collecting like everybody does. And then after I had gone to the first class, excuse me, in Italy, I had a real understanding about what they were doing and how we can apply that to honey here. So basically, you know, I, I went back to two years later and I finished the three part course and I um, passed the test. I don't even know how I did that jet lagged beyond. Um, but then I applied to be um, a member of their uh, national, they have a registry of experts. So I applied to become a member of that. So that allows me to go to Italy and be a honey judge. Very but cool. So um, I worked with them very closely over the last six years, trying to, um, we had to translate all of their sensory program, the classes, it's very intense. And Tara took our four day class, I believe. And she can tell you the amount of samples that we prepare, all the honeys have to be approved in the lab. They, we, they bring them in from Italy and we have all different little exercises for the students to really get them, you know, open up their senses so that they can be sharp and aware of what they're smelling and tasting. So there's a whole preparation of the senses and the psychology and the physiology of tasting honey before we just open up that jar of honey and taste it. We teach the students the whole thing about what's going on in your mouth, what's going on in your nose so that they can understand what they're tasting and what they're smelling. So We've been doing this for about seven years now. Um, in the first couple of years, it was really tough I, to get beekeepers to look at honey in this way and to sort of understand that there's a deeper way that we can understand and discuss honey. And now over, you know, like I said, the last couple of years, we're starting to get people interested. I think um, there's a lot of people doing honey tastings. I think people are really curious to learn about their honey and how to talk about it. And last year, 2019, the register in Italy granted the American Honey Tasting Society 
um, the ability to certify students through a four-day class here that they could take that certification and move on to the second and third level in Italy, meaning you can take the first part of the certified course here with the American Honey Tasting Society, which is a huge honor. We had two classes planned for 2020, but because of COVID and what's going on, we had to cancel that. So we've been doing online classes that aren't certified, but still we keep people engaged. We want to share this information and we want people to really, you know, enjoy and understand honey and have a deeper understanding for it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks COVID for that. Um, I was actually looking at initially doing the course that you guys were going to offer this summer and then, you know, COVID happened and, and everything stopped and we ended up canceling anything that we were planning on doing live. I had a bunch of talks and presentations around the, the state of Texas I was supposed to go do. All that stuff got canceled. Um, I still have a couple of people that are, are reaching out and, and would like us to you know still come out and present. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> sorry. We'll be happy to do something virtual, but not otherwise, not, not at the moment. So yeah, um, yeah. but I am looking, I'm looking at that, uh, you know, once the world is back to normal, I will. Uh, I would not be surprised if I do not show up in your classroom here one of these years. <laughs> yeah, well, we'd love to have you. It's a lot of fun, and um, it's really eye-opening. The whole program that they've developed in Italy over the last 40 years is just mind-boggling. Um, it's just, there's nobody in the world doing what they're doing. So it's it's definitely an experience that will enlighten you in so many ways with honey. I keep seeing, um, I can't remember the, the specific feed, but they, they do a lot of interesting things over there. And one of them is the almost like aromatherapy aspect of it, where they have the hives and then they've got the hose and the little mask and people will come and like breathe the air of the hive and smell the different aromas and scents and stuff. So they're, they're really into their beekeeping, which is amazing. It's awesome. Like, I love all the stuff that they do with honeybees and honey and all of it. The whole world is really very deeply um, involved with honeybees and honey. It's just everywhere. So it's, it's really great. It's a great. It's a great hobby, and it changes so many people's lives in, in great ways. This is true. We've uh, we have an organization here that is um, Hives for Heroes, and they specifically focus on using bee removals and working with honeybees to go through and kind of do um, like PTSD treatment and stress relief and stuff for veterans to help them cope, give them a job and give them a purpose once they come back and they have to kind of figure out what life is again. And um, we've had them on the show. Uh, I've actually, I'm, I'm friends with some of their, their leadership and, and founders. So I've had several conversations with them. We've had them on the show here before. Um, we've had them at the state beekeepers association. So it is, it's amazing all the different things that can actually be done just through bees and beekeeping. And, um, you know, as, especially when, when COVID happened, I think a lot of people kind of started waking up to that one because they had a lot more time on their hands and two, they were like, I need to find a way to become more self-sustaining. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like if I've got chickens, I can raise chickens and I can have eggs. And well, if I had bees, I can have my own sweetener and have honey and have wax. And, and it becomes like something Ken and I talk about, uh, it becomes a barter tool, you know, oh, yeah. you, you can use that to barter with your neighbors. They may have a 
source of vegetables that you don't have because you don't have the time to garden, but you have a beehive or you have chickens and you've got the eggs so you guys can barter and trade. And it, uh, it helps make the world go around um, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting how people's lives just change in so many different ways, how bees connect us. So I, I'm, I'm just amazed at how bees have just taken me on a journey that I never would have expected, you know, just never expected that I would do this. But I come from a background of arts. I went to art school. I was actually a commercial illustrator for a while. So sensory work is really parallel to art. You know, you're looking, you're, you're doing visual, you're doing you're using all of your senses when you're creating. So it's really kind of parallel in a way that I never would have thought. Your art also in certain aspects is very tactile and has texture too, be it if you're doing like, for instance, I have the, the, the work that is actually the wax, um, acoustic, encaustic, encaustic painting. Yeah. And so, and that I, I'm fascinated by that. I think that's amazing. There was a course that they had at the, I want to say it was the Texas Beekeepers Association's annual convention last year in San Antonio. And they had, you know, people just made little bitty like four by four squares where they could go through and learn to do that. And I didn't get a chance to go in, but I got to see them setting it up. And then afterwards, everybody was bringing me their thing. Look what I made. It's so cool. And I, I just, I think that's fascinating. So I actually, that's why I bought your painting. <laughs> well, you could do it at home. I mean, you don't have to make a masterpiece, but you know, essentially you just melt the beeswax on a double boiler. And if you want to use a brush or, or a palette knife, you know, and, and pigment, they, they sell special pigments for beeswax and you can just really create something just really interesting and textural. And what I've, found out is that um, the ancient Egyptians painted like a lot of the the, the art on the wall and in on the uh, mummies was all done with beeswax. I mean, before they had paint, they would get the pigment from plants and they would use the beeswax from their bees. And they started to paint art and paint on the walls of the pyramids before we had real paint. So encaustic is really um, an ancient art. That's amazing. I did not know that. And that is fascinating. And if you um, ever go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, there's a bunch of, um, they call them the Fayum mummy portraits. They're portraits of people from ancient history painted with beeswax. You can Google it, the Fayum yeah. mummy portraits. Really interesting. That is very cool. I am going to change the subject for just one hot little moment because this, so depending on how everybody's screens and stuff are set up and for you listeners at home that are listening to the audio version of this, you don't, you don't get to see all of it, but I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you, but I'm also watching Ken out of the corner of my eye. And uh, it kind of looked like there for a minute, um, one of Ken's little redheaded mutts wanted to come and visit him. <laughs> and he, he very quickly rolled up the window of his truck. <laughs> It was red. It was a red wasp, two of them. Oh, it was a wasp. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't bees. It was a wasp. So there for a little while, just so so you're aware, uh, Marina. This is this is Ken is is notorious for things like this. He got some swarm commander so yep. that he could go and you know start doing swarm traps and putting it into hives and baiting hives and stuff. But he was keeping it in his pickup truck. And for the oh. longest time, he could not figure out why everywhere he went and anytime he got out of the truck, he was just mobbed by bees. By bees, yep. right? 
Yeah. So when I saw him all of a sudden react very quickly and start start shooing something away and rolling the window up real fast, I kind of had to chuckle to myself. <laughs> it's either that or you have yeah. drips on your sleeve or something and the bees follow you around. Yep. Yeah, I'm always okay if they're coming to try to help clean something up. But when they're coming to tell me they're not happy with something, that's a different story. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So shall we uh, venture into these uh, little jars that I shipped up there to you? Yeah, what I'll do is I'm going to talk you through a little bit of preparation before we taste. Okay. So the first thing is that, that I found fascinating is that there's there's a difference between taste and flavor. We use the words interchangeably, but when we talk about taste, we're talking specifically about sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and something we call umami, which is like a soy savoriness, soy sauce, think of. So the tongue can only experience those five, we call them sensations, but flavor, and when we talk about flavor, we're talking about everything to describe honey or food. The honey wheel. Yeah. If you're familiar with the honey wheel that's in my book, The Honey Connoisseur, all of these words are what we call flavor. So salt is not a flavor, but cinnamon is a flavor. Or if you want to describe a honey as woody, or if you want to describe it as vegetal or animal, those are flavors and flavors we experience in our nose, not in oh. our tongue, not in our mouth. Our the taste aromatic. Are, yeah. So you know this is if you have a cold, you're sick in bed, your nose is stuffy, and somebody makes you some really nice chicken soup and you're eating the soup, trying to get better and feel better, and you taste nothing. The soup just tastes like a salty broth. Yep. But over the next couple of days, you start to taste the chicken or the uh, celery and the carrots, and you can start tasting soup when your nose unstuffs. So basically, you taste with your nose, and you can try that when you taste um, food, plug your nose. You don't taste anything. The only thing you'll taste is the sweet, sour, salty, bitter umami on your tongue. So that's the first thing um, that we teach students um, to separate that in your mind. So when you put honey on your tongue, of course it's sweet. Sometimes there's honeys that are salty, some are umami, but you, in your mind, you wanna separate, push the sweet aside and dig in deeply to try to figure out what you're smelling and tasting. What are those aromas and those flavors? And I mean, we can go through the honey wheel, but essentially, I'll go quickly. The center of the wheel is broken up into nine flavor families. And these are just broad categories. For example, fruity and floral. Most people are familiar what, what fruity means. It's, it's something that tastes like a fruit. It could be a berry fruit, a citrus fruit. And then we have floral. So you think about different kinds of flowers in the garden and a flower shop. Those are really easy. And then we move on to another flavor category that we call warm. So when we're describing a honey that's warm, we're talking about honeys that are very sweet, confection, maybe uh, milky in a way, chocolatey, vanilla. So anything that is in the sort of confectionery, nutty, caramel categories. 
Then we also have a category we call fresh, and this is sort of a refreshing note. So think about things like a lavender, a lemon, like a lemon verbena, um, different kinds of menthol or balsamic notes. And in the classroom, we actually give everybody little cups of these different flavors to smell so that you'll be able to identify them to start getting it. So today we're not really gonna be passing anything around for us to smell, but the best thing I can do is I can kind of explain them to you. We also have a category called vegetal, which is we describe as sort of a green note. If you're tasting or smelling a honey that reminds you of like fresh broccoli or stems of a plant, um, you know, we have dry hay, wet hay, wet cut, cut grass. Think of things that are like a vegetal. Then we have a category called animal. So any kind of a honey that's very gamey, usually they're very intense, remind you of like a gym bag, um, you know, dirty socks, cheesy, you know, just really funky kind of smells. And we, we do have honeys that are like that. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, all honeys are not sweet. So then we have a woody category, which is, um, you know, any kind of a honey that can be old wood, new wood, cut, fresh cut wood, cedar woods, um, and then spices that are on the woody side, meaning like cinnamons or cloves or ginger. And then we have a chemical and a spoiled category. So when we describe honeys that are chemical or spoiled, we're not necessarily saying that they're bad or um, you know, old or, or not good, there are some honeys that have um, like a smell like a chemical or, or a soapiness about them or um, tobacco or sulfur. You know, as you taste more and more honeys from around the country and around the world, you're going to come across things, you know, honeys that might be like kind of vinegary or fermented or earthy, musty. Um, some even honeys like they smell or taste kind of moldy even, but it's not a defect. It's not a bad honey. It's just whatever that floral source is. So that's just a, a real broad overview of what we're looking for to describe the smells and the taste of the honeys. So just to, to, to go through and kind of give a depiction then, so for your fresh, would you put like a cucumber under fresh or would you put it under the vegetal? So that I think it would be more vegetal because it would be like um, a, a green vegetable. Like a fresh so, cut grass of, almost as well. Yeah, that would be more. So fresh is more like aromatic. Have you ever smelled like lavender or rosemary? It's very aromatic, like yeah. kind of cooling. So that would be more fresh. Um, peppermint, you know, when you have gum in your mouth, peppermint come that kind of cooling, refreshing. Okay minty thing. So you'll have honeys that are not always in one category. There's some honeys that might be described in two or three categories, depending upon the honey. So any combination works. Um, also, when you're describing honeys, you don't have to use the words here. You can use any kind of words that you, you know, met that come from your own personal memory. So Everybody has their own personal, we call scent memories. 
And as you go through your life and you travel and do things, you have different memories of smells. Like if you went to an island vacation, you might have memories of the beach, the smell of the sand, the salty water would hold like a special place in your heart. Or if you had a special um, person in your life, maybe a family member that always wore like a special cologne or a perfume, every time you smell that perfume, you, you remember of Aunt Josie or something. Yeah, it triggers a memory. It triggers a memory. So smells really trigger memories and everybody has their own personal memories. And some memories can be negative. So you can smell, you know, sour milk and it reminds me, reminds you of the first time you got sick, you drank too much in high school or something. So memories can be very powerful um, and bring back different kinds of emotions. So those are the things that you need to be able to understand the difference between taste and flavor. And then there's one other sensation that we experience in our mouth and that is called like a trigeminal sensation. And it, it's from the nerves in our mouth and in our jaw. And those are sensations like astringency. If you've ever drank red wine or, or really black tea, you get that dryness puckery in your mouth. Is that from like tannins kind of? Exactly. Or if you ever had um, powdered sugar, you get kind of a cooling sensation in your mouth, but it's not temperature. It's a trigeminal nerve reaction. So think about um, powdered sugar or even honey that's been crystallized with really small grains. And you put that crystallized honey in your mouth, like whipped honey. And it's uh, rapeseed, rapeseed honey. Yeah, it's, it, it'll give you a cooling, but it's not a temperature. It's a chemical reaction. And then there's um, the warm reaction, which is from maltose, which is a, a kind of a sugar, but um, it's malty. Think of malted milk malted chocolate milk gives you almost a little warm feeling, not, not temperature, but warm. So those are all the things that we want to be aware of when we're tasting the honeys and try to separate them in your brain and, and try to pull out your memory using the wheel as a tool, but also your own personal memories. So Basically, when we do an evaluation for honey, we're going to be looking at the visual evaluation, then we're going to be smelling it, then we're going to be tasting it, and then we'll talk about the texture. So the first thing we can do is I'll walk you through each of the evaluation. We'll do it together. Okay. Um, before we before we get started on that, there was a, a couple of samples that I wanted to send you that did not end up making it, and that was my fault. Um, the... We had one of our listeners send us some honey from Antigua, oh, and wow. it was the most interesting honey that I think that I'd ever tasted. When I first would get the the sensation, I, I kind of detected like the floral notes, and it kind of reminded me of some of our spring wildflower honey. And then it kind of went off of that, and it went to sweet, and then all of a sudden it was metallic. And so looking at your wheel here, and going through the different things on there, I was really interested to see though, that there is a category where you can have like a metal or a metallic taste. And then it, it literally made the backs of my jaws and my teeth feel like they do. If I thought about biting on aluminum foil. Exactly. It was a visceral kind of reaction that my body had to it. It was the weirdest experience I'd ever had with that. So let me just say that 
it's very rare to find honey that have a natural metallic taste to them. Generally, metallic is considered a defect. And that's okay. another conversation. But, you know, beekeepers in other countries that are not that don't have sophisticated uh, equipment and tools like in poorer countries, they might be using rusty extracting equipment, rusty uncapping knives, uncapping forks, rusty old spinners, um, or, or, or containers, you know, metal containers or drums. So metallic is generally, and if it, and the way you're describing it was like very, it was prominent. It wasn't just like a little metallic note. Yeah, it was, it was prominent and it was the last thing that you experienced. It, it hits you at the very end. It almost sounds like a defect more than anything else, not than rather a flavor that we would describe. And, yeah. and this is common with imported honeys in, in countries where they, like I said, don't have necessarily the best clean equipment. You, you will get that. And I, metallic, I've always found in <coughs> honeys that were imported. Yep. Commercial honeys. <coughs> that makes sense. So see, Ken, um, this is a reason why you don't go get that bargain bin extractor that is, uh, you know, in the antique shop that's 20 bucks and it can extract 90 frames. <laughs> yeah, or okay. your great, great grandfather was a beekeeper and left you his prize extractor and you're carrying on the family legacy. You might not want to, you know, extract your best honey with an old rusty extractor. So, you know, keep it, but use it as a conversation piece. Yeah. You know, clean it up, set it up and it can, it can be exactly that. It can be a display model that you can talk about. This is how it was back in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. those are great. Those are great stories to have. I can put it there right beside the cream uh, extractor, right? There you go. Yeah. You can put it beside yeah. your burner turner and your creamer and <laughs> I'm a corn sheller. And your corn sheller. Yeah, I got it out. <laughs> or your, uh, you know, your old smokers, your antique smokers. And... Okay, I'm ready to play. So do you want to try the first honey? I see I have one jar here that says 1A. Yes, let's do 1A and then 1B. So... I use, I don't know what tools you have, but I use little tasting spoons, the little plastic ones, because um, I can't, you can't really use metal because you'll get that metallic reaction. Um, and the wooden ones aren't that great, or I don't, I don't particularly like straws. I know a lot of people use straws. I really like a spoon, like a real yeah. spoon. And the, these plastic ones are little tasting spoons. So I put a little bit of the honey that you gave me in a wine glass. Okay. Um, do you have a glass? Do you have the honey? Are you going to? I have them. I have them in the little tiny honey. little jars. Okay. So the reason we put them in, in the, this kind of a clear glass, like a bowl, is because A, we can really see the color. And the first evaluation is just the color. So we'll look at the color and we'll talk about the color you can put it up against like a white sheet of paper. This honey's really beautiful. It's got a very light sort of an amber color. The back of the honey wheel has a color chart if you want, but I like describing honey with just colors, words that people know. Like, you know, if I said pale orange, very pale or, or pale amber, I think most people would be able to understand that. 
So we'll talk about the color. It's it's transparent. You can almost read, you know, the newspaper through this. And it's very, um, you know, very glassy-like. I really like that. So the first thing we'll do is for the smell um, evaluation is we take the spoon and you have a spoon. Can you smear it? I have it. So let me, uh, let me go, let me go grab one real quick. I have like the little, so when we do tastings for like, just for people at the, the shows, um, we have like little sticks for them to dip in there, or we use the little straws. I couldn't find my little straws, but let me see if I can go find a plastic spoon real quick. Cause I, in theory should have one somewhere around here. Ken, feel free to entertain her. <laughs> oh, okay. So what I'm doing is I'm spreading the honey around the inside of the glass. You can really see the color. But what's really interesting is that when you stick your nose inside uh -huh. the glass and the honey is all around the edge of the bowl, you really surround your nose with the smell. And you could really smell honey so much better than if you just sticking your nose in a jar. It's really tough right. to smell. Yeah. When I first did this in the class and I stuck my nose, I was amazed at what you can smell. I had never smelt honey like this before. I've always been like everybody where, you know, you stick your nose in the honey jar and you try to smell it. But putting it in any kind of a round glass, a tumbler, um, just with kind of a, a bowl shape, it's amazing what you're gonna smell, how much you're going to smell. I smelled this honey earlier in the jar and now I'm smelling it here and I'm smelling clover. Some kind of a clover, but did you get your spoon? I do. I, I do. I, I've got my little plastic spoon and I've kind of stirred it around and smeared it across the sides of the jar to uh... smear it. So the first thing we notice is like the intensity of it. Either the honey is very delicate, it's very light or it's medium or it's super intense. Like it just smacks you in the face. So this honey, you know, this honey's like, you know, medium to delicate. It's not very strong. There's other honeys that are definitely much more stronger than this. Yeah, so I would say delicate. Yeah, it's on the delicate to medium side. It's not super strong. Now, the next thing we try to do is try to pick out flavor families, like broad categories um, using the wheel or your memory. So... I would say if we're going by aroma, I would say for me, it falls somewhere between fruity and floral. I think it's a little, I, I think more for me, it's vegetal. See, that would, that would be my next because it does have that, that like, it reminds you of spring, but it's the do on fresh green, you know, grass and things like that. And so it does have a little bit of that too, to me in a, in a way kind of. Yeah. There's something grassy about it. This is a honey that I have never, ever experienced except when Tara gave me a sample. So it reminds me of her sample a lot. There's a little must note to it. There's just like a little, this is a tough honey to describe. It's very delicate. There's not a lot. 
there's a little wet, do you know, like wet dog hair, like <laughs> a wet dog. That, like, yeah. That would be kind of a musty type smell. Yeah. And a little, it's very light, maybe wet cardboard. And there's also a note, I want to say like, you ever eat Asian food? Yeah. You know that like duck sauce or the tamarind sauce? There's like this. Tamarind, yeah. Like, you know, the dipping sauces. There's something savory about the smell. It's so delicate. Let's just taste it. (laughs) Let's quit playing and just taste it. (laughs) I'm tasting it virtually. Yeah, yeah. Ken, unfortunately, doesn't have these samples to play with. (laughs) What do you taste? Is that the one I'm thinking about? No. Okay. Um, so this one, the one A, the A actually stood for apiary. So this is from our main honey apiary here. And it's that's our early spring honey. That's the one on the other honey. side of the creek. That's the one from the other side of the creek. Oh, yeah, yeah that's a good one. I'll shut up now. Yeah. It's, it has like, it makes my mouth go. Don't you do, does that happen to you? Yeah. It's, and I get, I get a little bit of the sensation in the back. Like, like it wants to be tart, but it's not tart. Like there's some sort of reaction back there. There is. It's kind of soury tart. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I describe it as a, um, it's when fruity. I would tell people, I would say, yeah, it's kind of fruity and it has like this high note, like this zing at the end kind of thing. Yeah. It's, stripes, got, stripes, it's got this gum. very sweet and sour thing, you know, this sweet and sour. Um, like I said, like with, Asian food, you get that like soy dipping sauce that's sweet and sour. Yeah. Ken Ken likes to compare it to stripes gum, if you've ever heard that's of it. that. It's stripes an older, gum. older style of gum or older yeah. brand of gum. Yep. It's fruity and it has a bite at the end. Yeah, it has a bite. You guys are good. So this one, this is my favorite honey that I produce. And I have a very small window where everything has to go right for me to be able to get to it. And it is on the other side of a creek bed that is normally dry. But if we have a bizarre spring, then it will get to where I can't get over there. And if some of the other stuff starts blooming, then they adulterate it and mix it in. And and I don't get this profile. So when I get it, I hoard it. (laughs) It's very coveted. (laughs) Really good. It's really interesting. So it's like sweet, sour, it's astringent, it kind of dries your mouth out, it's fruity. Yeah, I do, I do get that, almost that tannin um, at the back of your throat and kind of the the top of your mouth towards the end, that dry feeling, like it's pulling. It's got some kind of like Asian feel to it. Do you know any of the floral sources that this honey would be from? On this one, unfortunately, no, because it's it's too early in the year for it truly to be mesquite. And we do have a lot of mesquite out in that area, but it's it's a little bit too early for that one to have the mesquite in it. Um, it is... When did you harvest it? This one was harvested in May. May. That's early. That is early for us, yeah. It's Austin? Yep. And in the city? Uh, out in the country, in the prairie. It's on prairie land. So it's prairie. Yeah. And it is, it is predominantly wildflower. Um, when we've had a long enough hot dry stretch, we do get a lot of mesquite out there, but we've got horse mint is extremely prevalent, but that comes in a little bit later too. So this has always been my mystery of 
there's little things that bloom that I can't identify and I don't know <laughs> what they are, but they always make the most amazing honey for me. That then it's my favorite one. Yeah, it it it's zingy. It's got a zing note. And it has a whiny, like a wine, mus, like Moscato, like a sweet wine. I, so I am horrible when it comes to wine because I think the dessert wines are the best and everybody else is like, no. Uh, a Moscato di Asti to me is my favorite thing in the world. And that might be one of the reasons why I like this honey so much. It's kind of like a dessert wine. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's really very interesting. It has a lot of complex flavors going on. And those are my favorite honeys that are complex. They just have a lot going on. It it hits the sweet, sour, salty notes on your tongue. And then it's got this depth of flavor. That's a real winner. Voted best honey. There we go. Yay. I like that. That's a good idea. So should we look at number 1B? Uh, 1B. So 1B um, is about a month removed from the first one. So this one would have been in June. But this actually came from downtown Austin from the top of a hotel. Really? Yes. So this one's going to be a city a source. City. Yep. And there, and you know, it's whatever the hotel is propagated. Uh, they do have a tiny little herb garden down there. And then they've got just the regular flowers that they print, they, they plant out there for decoration and stuff for aesthetics. Um, and then whatever there's, so there's a couple of different little Creek slash drainages that all lead to the Colorado river that run not even, uh, I would say maybe half a block from there, um, from the side of the hotel runs mm -hmm. down through there. And so you've got a lot of different flowering trees and stuff along that. So just wild, random yep. things going on. And, so and maybe things that are a little bit more exotic than what you would call your typical wildflowers, because they are things that people have imported or put in. Yeah. Interesting. So the color is a lot darker than the first one. This one has a very reddish tint to it. Yeah. It's like an amber with a distinctive red note to it. Really pretty as well. I got mine spread out a lot. And it's, you know, again, it's like a transparent, very light when you spread it out. Now, to me, this one doesn't smell anything like the first one. Yeah, it's very delicate, though. Yes, it's very subtle. But see, on this one, I detect more of, of that where you were saying like a hint of this or a hint of that, like the um, the musty or the, uh, let, me, let me find my will so I can come up with words here. <laughs> more delicate, like on the nose, I smell really a lot less. Yeah, yeah. But, but the one thing that I do get, though, is, is something that it does kind of remind me of like a, a musty, yeah, or a woody, maybe. Um, yeah, like dirty water. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, it's very slight. It's not, you know, it's not really. Ken, loud. something, something for for you for this perspective. This smells like like our winter honey, but very, very, very delicate, very light. Like you pick up hints of that same stuff that you think the winter honey would taste like. 
you get that in the smell a little bit, okay. but just a little bit. It, does it smell like a margarita from the no, bar? No, it doesn't. It does not smell oh, okay. like a margarita at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first one. Yeah, exactly. That, that would have been okay. more of the first one. Your your fruity drink, margarita. Ah. So now sometimes I'm, I'm wearing I, part of the honey now. <laughs> sometimes what I do is I put the lid on it, and believe it or not, it like holds in some of the aromas, and then you just tip it and smell it a little bit. It's very delicate. There's not a lot I get on the nose. Well, let's just taste it. The best part. Yeah, I was going to say she giggled. You can tell that's her favorite part. <laughs> I get beeswax. Mm -hmm. So I, I would definitely agree with the beeswax. Mm -hmm. And then it goes into, I don't, to me, it, it, it goes back to floral because it, it's like, it's got like a rose, but it's a really strong flavor to it. Yeah, I was going to say rose. It has like a little floral fruity and like a soft rose like very soft delicate floral now ken if we could have if we could have got you samples all of this out there i wasn't sure you were going to be able to join so i didn't try too hard well, we just got <laughs> phone back to wife just got it hooked up well we can play with it right now well the, what 30 minutes About 30 so minutes before ago. we started yeah yeah this one also has like an umami note to it like dry astringency but also like this very savory soyish note do you get that yeah yeah and, and i think that's that's the maybe the closest thing to that aroma too that that savory kind of hint to that that's really interesting too wow austin's got some good honeys yeah, and they, these are almost the same time period. Like I said, the one from the farm is a little bit earlier, um, mm -hmm. but the one from here in town, that that is in June. And that is still early. We usually do our main harvest in uh, the, I do it in the middle to the end of July because mm -hmm. I let the bees tell me when it's ready instead of the calendar. Um, but of a lot of our people around here, they'll do harvests around July 4th. That's kind of their mental mark on yeah. when they should go take their honey. Yeah. I haven't harvested yet. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> What are you waiting for? He was waiting on his extractor. Him and his son finally yep. got it put together. So now their next task is to, to go and pull the honey. Yep. Is that that kind now of... Now we got such a flow going on up here right now. I'm letting them work. Is it late for you guys? No. Not necessarily. We're, we're actually having a decent fall flow right now. So the bees are actually bringing in quite a bit. And he's yeah, still got extra boxes on his hives. Um, we only need about 40 pounds of honey to make it through the winter. And oftentimes they'll still have several frames of solid capped honey coming out of winter that they don't utilize. So we don't have to have a whole ton left behind. And he's got plenty of excess <laughs> for them to right. fill up. They say for us in the Northeast, 60 pounds for the winter. That's not too bad, actually. Not too far off. I went up to Saskatchewan and visited a beekeeper up there and I was extremely shocked. They did almost the same thing that we do. And uh, that kind of surprised me on that. Yeah, interesting. So number two, even darker, a little bit darker, like uh, more of a amber brown, but still with a reddish tint to it, right? See that? 
And it's got a really nice transparency to it. Really pretty. All of these honeys are pretty. I didn't really think about it, but I, I can hold it up there to the camera and turn it so that the light goes through it so people can kind of yeah. get a see of it. Mine's a little bit more reddish amber. Yeah, yours is a little bit darker. I think yours has more honey in it too, though, than mine. I just barely put uh, like a spoonful in mine. So the smell on this, so the colors like um, red, amber, it's completely liquid. So the smell. This one has a, a stronger smell, still maybe a little bit reminiscent of the number 1B, the one from the hotel, but it's it's much stronger to me. Yeah, the intensity is a little bit stronger. It's a medium, I'd say. It's not really intense, but it's a little bit more. So I'd say like a medium. And the smell, I would call this almost lactic or woody. Lactic, like milk. Like a little sour milk. Yeah, I could I could get the sour from it. Um, I also get... Uh... Uh, I don't want to say the, the malt that you were talking about, but maybe warm caramel kind of. Yeah. Warm, warm lactic. There's something else in there. Bread, yeasty bread. Oh, bread. I thought you said red at first and I was like, no, that's cheating. A color, can't, <laughs> a color can't be a flavor, <laughs> but technically I guess it can. <laughs> don't you smell the color red? <laughs> <laughs> So the, the lactic that you were talking about, that actually falls in warm and caramel falls in warm. Yeah, warm. Um, so they're all still, we're kind of in that same same general area there. I get like kind of a, maybe a little woody, like bark wood, just a little, very delicate, hard to. I can, this is the most time I've ever spent playing with my honey and everything before I took a whole spoonful of it. <laughs> and I know which honey you're talking about right now. No, you don't. I don't. You don't. We haven't got there yet. Wow. Okay. So, um, shut up. I'm going to taste. It's fruity. It's very syrupy. Mm -hmm. Like a little cherry, like cherry syrup or cherry cough drops or something. Not cough drops, but with menthol, but. Like a um, kind of like Dr. Pepper, yeah. how, how Dr. Pepper has cherry flavor in it, but it's not the most predominant aspect yeah, of it. Like a cola. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Pepper's amazing 23 flavors. <laughs> there's cherry in there somewhere. So this one is what I traditionally call my summer honey. And this is if I have gotten to the apiary, usually after July, um, this is pretty much what I get out of everything. And it is a little bit strong enough that it will overpower any of those other ones if they were still in the comb and I don't get them separated out. I do try to go through, I take samples from each of the combs and I try to segment everything out so that when I extract it, I keep all the lighter stuff with itself and the mediums and darks over there. So I don't kind of backwards adulterate everything with some real strong stuff. But mm -hmm. this is this is what I call my my summer honey. This one would have, um, and you wouldn't necessarily know it from the flavor or the uh, the coloration of it, but this one would have more of the, um, like the tree, the mesquite in it. Mm -hmm. Is this from 
the city of Austin again? This is from back out at the apiary. So this is out, out on the prairie land. And this would be where we would have uh, somewhere between 1A and 2 is where we would have had the horse mint, the Indian blanket, your uh, the mesquite trees, they, and that's very heavy out there for those. Um, again, several little plants that I always take pictures of but can't actually identify. <laughs> I'm like, this is a really cool little flower. Don't know what it is. <laughs> and you don't know, are the bees on it? Sometimes I will be able to find the bees, but sometimes when I get out there it's so late in the evening, they're not really, you might find a bee here or there, but they're not as active as they would be first thing in the morning. So yeah, um, it kind of just depends on, on my day when I can get out that direction. Again, really interesting, honey, really interesting. Are we ready for three? Yes. Now I do not have number three that I can play along with because that was literally the very last drop of it. Um, yeah, I know which one we got. Nope, you still don't know. We haven't I made it there know. yet. We still, wow. we're still, okay. we still haven't made it there. Now, wow. but you do know, Ken. See, look at look at what she's holding up here. Wow, this one's really dark. This is your winter oh, okay. honey. I know what it is. Yeah. yeah, this is your winter honey that you like yeah. so much. This is really dark. Not as dark as a buckwheat or an avocado honey. But look at that. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And it's got that nice red to it. It's like a dark amber. Look at that. I don't know. If Almost like molasses. Look at that. Yeah. Wow. That is beautiful. Now we did have one and I wish I would have kept like a, an isolated sample of it and sent it to you. We did have one colony this year that it looked like blood almost on the frames. If you spilled any of it, it you would sure? hit that tan wood and it was a, it, I mean, it was red. And I was like, what have you guys been doing? <laughs> yeah, we heard about the Brooklyn red honey, right? The bees were at the maraschino cherry factory. Yes. That. Yeah. Um, uh, between the, the maraschino cherries and the M&M factory, there's been a lot of really interesting colored honeys lately. Yeah, exactly. So careful with that. The color's really beautiful on here. These are so clean. Oh, I get like a Cinnamon, spicy. Uh, yeah, spicy. I would say spicy. Um, and I'm doing this one from memory, just from. Um, so it's, it's kind of medium, delicate. The intensity. There's like a a musty. There's a spicy note, like an Indian, like a curry, cinnamon curry. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, it does, it does have a very spicy, um, it's spicy to me. It's spicy, um, not in the, in the flavor world, but in the taste world, it has a bitter note to it when you do kind of taste it. Um, wow. it, it would fall under, I think the woody is a good thing there. Um, also maybe yeast like spoiled or kind of yeasty in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is our that is our fall slash winter honey. And most of the time I purposefully I leave all of that for the bees. But when we come out of winter, the colonies that do still have excess honey, I will go through and extract it and I will set that aside specifically as my winter honey. But I'm getting it at the tail end of winter coming into spring when I start doing my splits. And it is, it is always very dark, very, I call it bold and strong, kind of almost bitter in a way like molasses can be. 
the flavor is much more intense than the smell. The yeah. taste is much more powerful than the smell. Interesting, it's reversed. And you know, this a smoky, ashy note in the end. This uh, this would be for us. Um, it's going to be the goldenrod, bitterweed, snow on the mountain, and broomweed are the primary things out there at the apiary that time of year. So do you happen to have any, do you know what a strawberry tree is? Not I do not. There's a honey that's produced mostly in, in like Greece and Northern Spain and like Corsica and Sardinia, some of the Mediterranean islands that has a really bitter ashy note called the strawberry tree. And I know we have it around here, but I've never had the honey, but the ash reminds me of that. Yeah. Note. To my knowledge, we do not out there. It is mesquite. Um, now there is, okay. So there is something that blooms. It's blooming right now. And the, the, the old farmer out there, he, I can't ever remember the first part of it. He calls it some sort of, of um, cedar, but it's not a cedar tree. But he's like, oh, it's it's such and such cedar. And to me, it looks more like a willow. And it makes these, it, it looks like a willow, like a straight up willow, not the weeping willow, but just the regular straight up willow. And it makes hundreds upon hundreds of tiny little white flowers, itty bitty little white blooms to where the salt whole plant cedar. almost turns salt cedar. Does it have a red bark? A red, the wood is red? Um, bark itself? I don't not the the bark on these is like a, a very ashy tan color, um, okay. just the outer bark of it anyway. But the but yeah, it it is uh, it is it's just covered in little white blooms to the point where the whole thing looks like there's more flowers than there are leaves, and so it takes on a white kind of look to it. And wow. the bees and the butterflies right now are loving it, but I don't know how that equates into the honey, and I can't identify what it is. I just remember he calls it cedar, and I'm like, that's not a cedar, dude. <laughs> There is a woody note to it that's kind of cedar, like aromatic-y, and there's definitely ending like a smoky ash. Yeah. You get that in the end? Yeah. The it's like caramelly, fruity, woody. Yeah, then- the caramel, definitely, I could say that. Um, sometimes, to me, it almost has like a, a burnt note almost yeah, to it. Burnt, ashy, yeah. That's what I got, like ash in the end. Interesting. Wow. So, so that right there going from 1A and 1B is our spring, two is our summer, and three is our fall slash winter. So that's the entire season down here that, that we have. Um, and that, that number three is from the city or the prairie? That one's from the prairie as well. Yeah, the only one that was from the city was 1B. Mm-hmm. Wow. So your spring, summer, and fall goes light, medium to dark. Yep. Honey's. Wow, that's so interesting. We are we are in a prime area out here, especially so like Ken Ken and I are in almost two completely different regions because Austin yep. sets on what's called the escarpment pass, which is a fault line. And where I-35 runs through town, if you're east of I-35, it's all prairie land and riverbed type, and it's yep. beautiful flowers everywhere out there. Wow. As soon as you go west of 35, you hit the hill country. And it's all granite and rock and marble, and it, it just kind of cascades up until well, a little bit, what, maybe out towards Fredericksburg, it kind of levels back out a little bit, and then you yeah, get some more prairie-type land. Um, yeah. 
So there's, there's things that when we're in full bloom, they're not. And when we're in a dearth, they're in bloom because of the, the nature of the rocky soil versus the prairie soil and stuff. So it can be really interesting, but we get our nectar flow starts here. Sometimes like this year, actually, I had colonies that were building up. They built up four boxes of comb between February, March and the first week of April. And that's not normal. Usually we start in the, the mid part of March as our nectar flow starts, slowly ramps up through April, maxes out through May and June and comes mm-hmm. to a screeching halt in July and then starts again in mid-September and goes through the beginning of November. You have a dark so, Yeah, we have a hard summer dearth. Yeah, we have that here too. It's terrible. We have to feed and then we have goldenrod that comes up, asters. Yep. So right now we're over that dry period, but it happens and we have to feed usually during that time. So, yeah. So if we move to the next one, we're going to move out of the realm of uh, playing fair. (laughs) Yeah. So the one that is a a series of um, were like letters, it's the J R B R A or something like that. Yeah. That one's the next one. This is the one that Ken's been waiting on. Every time he yeah. said, I know which one you're doing, that's what it is. And yeah. that one should have a chunk of honeycomb in it. Yeah, I see that. I see that. I And now, literally, you got half of all that I have left of this. Uh, <laughs> so generous. J-R-B, can I ask what that means? Yes, I, I can tell you what that means. It stands for uh, Jerabombra or Jerabombera. That's the beekeeper. That is a region in Australia. Oh, this is from, this isn't Texas. This is not Texas. That's what I said. Now we're not going to play. Now we're not going to play fair. (laughs) This is fun. We had, we had a listener named Catherine that came up from Australia and came on the show and she smuggled us literally (laughs) two jars of her own honey it is um, it is a wildflower, quote unquote, honey. It does come from a suburb. Jerobombera or Jerobombera is a, is a suburb. And there's a lot of, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you after. I don't want to influence, so I'll tell you no, after. Don't do it. So I'm taking it out of the jar and it is so viscous. It it's is very thick. Really, really thick. Look at that. It's really thick. And the color of the honey itself looks very light. It's like a pale golden yellow. Really, really pretty. Can you see that? Oh, it's good. Pretty, pretty. So usually we don't do honey with the comb, but there's plenty of liquid here. Yeah, I I, literally the comb was all I had left. And I had the jar inverted as long as I could to get every last little drop in there for you so that you could get (laughs) some little sample of it. It's kind of delicate, the smell. I smell butter for a second. A little. Well, Ken's just squirming over there. He just can't contain himself. (laughs) All it needs is hot butter and biscuits. That's all hell it needs. (laughs) Really? Hot biscuits and butter. Is that what you thought? I smell butter. It is, yeah. I get uh, I oh, get butter. Of- I get burned or caramel as a scent anyway. Yeah. Um, and then earthy, like a, a woody. Yeah, like a woody. It's very delicate. It's all delicate. 
Now, what part of Australia is she in? North, South, East? Oh, don't make me say that because I will get it wrong and I'll be in trouble. Um, I can't remember. I, I bet I could find it here real quick, though. There's a funky note to it. <laughs> yeah, that kind of is, yeah. Like an animal note, some kind of an animal, very delicate, like um, cat pee. Can I say that? Yeah, you can because that is a that is a flavor. You can you can get that uh, aromatic aspect of like an ammonia almost kind of. There's an animal butter beeswax. New New South Wales, so she's in New South Wales, Australia. There's a little smoky note to the smell. Now, technically, and I, and, and and this could be this could go either way, but for full disclosure on this one. This was in the middle of the insane bushfires that they were having this last year. Wow, it's butter. Butter beeswax. Ken, tell her tell her what you think it tastes it's like. Popcorn. <laughs> Buttered popcorn. Butterscotch. Yeah, butterscotch. He yep. he thinks it tastes Werther's like Werther's butterscotch candy. There you go. Like a Werther's original. That's what yep, Ken thinks it tastes it. like. That's what it tastes like. Yeah. Very confection, sweet. Yep. Buttered popcorn. It has a buttery note. So. About the best I ever tasted. Yeah, that's so interesting. In this area, in the neighborhood, there is a lot of rosemary and also a curry rosemary. And then there are, most of this probably comes from trees and you've got the um, bamboo, eucalyptus and tea tree out in that vicinity. But again, it's in an urban environment. So it's whatever your neighbors were cultivating and growing as well. Yeah, so this is definitely not like a eucalyptus honey because a eucalyptus is much more funky. Much funky, more <laughs> very funky. Yeah. <clears throat> Choking on a piece of beeswax from the comb. <laughs> it's buttered popcorn. Popcorn, those Christmas popcorn balls. You know the balls? Oh, it would be great, popcorn balls. It's popcorn balls. I think it is because you, you've, you've got that sticky, mm -hmm. sticky burnt sugar with a buttery popcorn flavor all rolled into one thing. That is, see, this is why you're the expert. That is an excellent description. It is. <laughs> It is pretty good too. You got the butter. You guys are really good. You're really good. I think I think she needs to send us another gallon or two. <laughs> yeah, Ken keeps trying to get her to figure out a way to ship us a gallon of this. <laughs> get us a gallon or two. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, it's getting it's spring down there, John. She needs to put a medium on for each one of us, an extra medium. Yeah. I don't know that if you had three different mediums on there, Ken, she wouldn't get any honey of her own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's really okay. special. That's interesting. Thank you for that. Oh, it is so good. thank you to Miss Catherine from Australia for providing that for us. That is yes. the Jarabombra or Jarabombera. Here, I don't know if you can uh, if you can actually see this, Marina. This is the we go backwards here. So this is the word itself. Jera, J wow. It's a very long, J E R R A B O M B E R R A. And what is that? The town? 
It is a, it's like a neighborhood or a suburb in, uh, in New South Wales. Wow. See, we need to travel more. Right? <laughs> oh, that's so, so good. Yeah, we need to travel. That's so interesting. That is so complex and so unique. Yes, very unique. Mm -hmm. I just want the seeds. <laughs> See, Ken, Ken keeps, yeah, Ken, Ken keeps equating it to like, it's just one thing he can grow. And I keep trying to tell him it's her wildflower honey. It's going to be a whole mix of stuff. But it's also, you know, the, the, the climate and the soil and the, mm -hmm. the terroir, oh, yeah. the whole neighbor, you know, you know, they make manuka there. You can plant manuka trees here, but you're not going to get, you're not going to get the same effect. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the rainforest. Well, that's New Zealand, but. Um, you can't really do that and get the same, you know, outcome. Nope. Everything, every tiny little minute detail changes everything. Exactly. So, you know, so it's, we've, like, it's like our sour wood. You, 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 there's no sour wood anywhere. It has to be in the Smoky Mountains there, Virginia, North Carolina. Sour wood right here. Sour yeah. wood, honey. <laughs> yep. oh, is that mine or is that your jug? Uh, we're supposed to split it. We will be opening oh, that okay. this weekend when we are in the recording <laughs> studio. That was also sent to us from a listener um, who who was shopping in the the mountains there, and uh, I think it was North Carolina. Yeah, South, South Carolina. No, this one's North Carolina. This one That's is Carolina. Uh, Virginia, Kernsville, North Carolina is where this one was from. Okay, so. So we have on our little tasting tour, we have two things left. And these two things are definitely cheating. These are not natural. Let's start with the L, because L is going to be friendlier than J. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's end on J. <laughs> wow. The minute I opened it, I can smell something's in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a purist, so... Well, and that's that's perfectly fine. I put these in and I gave you a warning too when I sent you the stuff. I sent you a message and was like, okay, just so you know, <laughs> there are two things. Lavender infused? That is the lavender infused. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you can tell. Yep. It's got lavender is that very camphor aromatic note, but lavender honey doesn't have that. No, you know, actual lavender honey does not. Yeah. Because and that is the... That is the big distinction is these are infusions. Mm -hmm. So they're literally infused for about a month with just tons of lavender flower yeah. and then separated and strained back out. Yeah. And I could taste the, the oils or something mm -hmm. of the leaves and it sits on your tongue. Yep. Interesting. I know people love that. Love that. Yeah. We've got a couple of uh, little artisan type bakeries, um, one here in Austin and one in Dripping Springs uh, out west of Austin that sell them and people go crazy for them. People love it. Yeah. Yeah. So you got so, to infused. Yeah. And, and it does say on there, it, it's, this is, it's, uh, it's the kicking line of infused honey products from Wicked Bee. And so it says lavender infused real big across the top. Mm -hmm. So this is pepper, jalapeno pepper. Jalapeno. That's right. The J is jalapeno. Yeah. 
You can smell it. Yep. And you can taste it. <laughs> People love this too. They love the sweet and spicy thing. That's a yep. huge thing. Huge. This one, people have found, this was the very first infusion that I ever created. And mm -hmm. wow, I could cook with that. Mm -hmm. See, that's just it. It is, people have gotten so creative with them. Um, the very first time, like I told people, oh, you know, like the obvious things, it's going to go great on like cornbread and things like that. And they were like, oh my God, I'm putting this on pizza. And I was like, what? And they're like, you've never put honey on pizza? And I was like, no. And they're like, oh, this would be perfect on pizza. And yeah, fried chicken, you do fried chicken and drizzle this over it. Um, you can use it to marinate in a steak, rub it in, and then put your seasonings on. And it kind of sears yeah. and gives that little bit of that pepper flavor. But Even shrimp or something, I can see it yeah. on like seafood. The last one that really got me was a lady who ordered quite a bit of both the jalapeno. I had basil for a little while. She got the jalapeno, the basil and another one. And I asked her, I was like, what are you going to do? Like you ordered a large quantity of it. And she said, I'm making cocktails. And she was doing jalapeno margaritas and she had uh, an orange mint lemonade and like all these different things that she was doing with them as a drink. So well, that's awesome. creative. Yeah, that's awesome because you can actually, you're very good about talking about the flavor. You have a good handle on it. So that's why people are going to be very excited about all of your products because you can really talk about them and tell them the flavor profiles. And you, right there, what you were saying is, you know, you can use it on different kinds of foods and, you know, steak and cocktails. And people like that because when you can talk to customers and, you know, describe the honey and then tell them how to use it, then they become really loyal, excited customers. Absolutely. And the one thing that you mentioned early on that I learned as well is you can have something like that and they may pick it up and look at it and be like, oh, that's interesting and set it down and walk off. But if you catch them and you explain to them, now you're going to take a bite of this. And the first thing you're going to get is that whiff of jalapeno, like a fresh jalapeno pepper. And then it's going to have a jalapeno flavor, but not the heat. And then it goes smooth and sweet. And then at the end, there's that heat that comes out of nowhere. And then you go try it and let them do a sample. And then they're hooked. Then they love it. But yeah. if they just see it, they're like, hmm. And then they kind of keep on moving by. Yeah, that's the secret is getting them to taste it. And then the other secret is, is like getting them to taste it, but also if you can't convince them having like a bottle of cheap honey and let them do a side by side, you yeah. don't need to be an expert to know the difference. They will go for the real homegrown honey every time. They'll be like, yuck. Yep. You so, taste the stuff you buy in the store and then you taste real beekeepers honey, regardless of the season. And they're like, oh my God, I never knew there was so much complexity and flavor and all this stuff in there. So many people, they'll say, I don't like honey. And the first thing I say to them is, well, what kind of honey did you have that you don't like? And they'll say, oh, you know, the grocery store. And I'm like, yep, that says everything. Yep. One really shocking story is um, I was at like a coffee, little cafe coffee shop, and they have the little milk and the honey bar there with the sugar. You can fix it. So of course, I have to go taste the honey in the little bottle or whatever it was. And it was like... And it, it was clearly an imported honey and it had a metallic, it had that metallic. Ah, yeah. I cringed. And then a woman came up to the bar with her coffee and she squirted the honey right into her coffee. 
And I said to her, wait, why don't you just taste it? And, you know, before you put it in the coffee. So, you know, she put a little on her spoon and she tasted it. And she goes, oh, this is fine. That tells me that the consumer expects to taste metallic. Like it's so prevalent in, you know, commercial honey that consumers just accept that that's what it tastes like. And that's clearly a defect. It's yeah. clearly imported honey. So, you know, it's really interesting. People don't like honey because they've never had real honey. And if you, ch you can change their mind real easily, but also people expect honey to taste bad you know, or, or what we consider bad. Cause we, right. know, really we know better. Yeah. We know better. So it's really kind of scary out there that people accept bad honey and you know, that's what they think honey should taste like because that's what they've always had. So, yeah. you know, I mean, beekeepers have a lot of work to do, but it's great to see that people all over are doing it. You know, they're exposing and, and explaining and teaching all about honey and, and, There'll be a change. I think we're seeing a little bit of a change right now in what consumers expect for honey, but there's a lot of commercial honey, imported commercial honey on the market in the last couple of years, more and more than I've ever seen. Yeah, there is, unfortunately. And that's so here in Texas, we have what we call the Real, Real Texas Honey Program. And, you know, they're we, we go through and we show the stats. This is how much honey was sold in Texas. This is how much honey was produced in Texas. And there's a huge area of improvement there where if you guys would stop buying the imported stuff that you're getting at Walmart and places like that and actually support your local beekeepers from here in the state. And so we have a honey locator where people can go on there. They can put in their zip code and it will show them the actual beekeepers that are certified and registered as real Texas honey producers, and they can go directly to them and pick it up. So then, you know, it is a beekeeper that meets these standards and qualities and stuff. And so we're trying, we're trying to get it out there and get the word out there. Amazing. Is that a bee club that does that or? It branched off from the Texas Beekeepers Association. Yes, it was uh, originally a creation from them and, and has, it's now its own association itself. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I mean, the more outreach and education you can do, the better it is. Because one of the things that I, I hate hearing from beekeeper is how can I compete with $3 honey? You know, I can't sell my honey for $3 and you shouldn't. But, you know, educating the consumer, letting them taste it, you yep. know, it says it all. And look, if you can't, if the just the taste test doesn't convince the consumer, then they're not meant to be your customer. They're just, they're just not. That's a good point. That is a good point. You don't have to convert everybody. Some people are just not meant for it and exactly. move on down the road to the ones that are. There's people who are on the, the, the fence. They want to learn and you, you, you give them the taste, you, you educate them and they become enlightened and they learned and they become your customer yep. and you know the difference. And then there's some that never will be able to for many, many reasons, but you know, they won't, you won't change their mind. You know, yeah. budget wise, you know, maybe it's too expensive or, you know, they just don't really care about flavor, taste that much. So that's true. We do a lot of educating on crystallization too, because a lot of people have it in their head that when honey crystallizes, it's gone bad. And yeah. we're like, no, you know, in fact, um, you know, Les Crowder likes to tell people, well, I actually like it that way. It's, it's less messy. It's easier to scoop and spread and do things with. And, you know, you get an exact spoonful and it's not oozing out and running away from you. And 
Um, Some people like the texture, you know, so it's all just about educating and giving them samples and letting them know and telling them, you know, how they can convert it back if they want to. If it's if it's gone too long and they want it to be liquid, they can do that. But it doesn't mean that it's bad. Yeah. And it melts in tea anyway. So exactly. (laughs) Melt in tea. So you don't need to. But also, you know, crystallization is a sign of quality. If your honey doesn't most honey doesn't crystallize, you got to question what's in it. That's right. Because so, it, it's been heated and purified and ran through so many filters that there isn't any pollen in there. There's no micro crystalline structures. There's no nothing for it to crystallize. And, you know, that's a good indication that that's, you know, it's literally just glorified sugar at that point. Exactly. Yeah. And, quali- you know, the type of crystallization is important too, you know, so if it separates, you know, you've seen that those are questionable, but yeah, you have people have to embrace crystallization. It's it's natural. It's a natural state. Yeah. So, I mean, people are getting it slowly. I think. Well, for for those people out there who would like to learn more or potentially do one of your honey sensory experiences, tell them kind of what you got coming up. Um, any classes or anything that you got going on, and how they can find you and get all of you. Um, well, you can go to our website. The, uh, it's AmericanHoneyTastingSociety.com. Just Google it. It comes right up. We were doing, um, so we, when I say we, I have two partners in Italy who are, they were actually my teachers, but they're also um, honey experts. Um, they were trained in the same program and they teach all over. So between the three of us, John Luigi, uh, Marcazan, and Raffaele da Olio. You'll see we have profiles on the website. We're doing classes. Uh, we were doing one hour talks over the summer, and then we did our first three day intensive. It was like a seven hour class over three days with three teachers. And we sent students samples. We'll try to do that again in the spring. We're going to try to do that. Uh, we'll put it up on the website. If you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, we'll post on there. If you sign up for our newsletter on the website, you'll find out about new classes. But I think we're not going to do any more for this year. It was a huge (laughs) preparation to do that and get, you know, 11 students samples of everything, all the all the exercises and the paperwork it was huge and it went really well so we'll we will do that again and then hopefully in the future we'll do in-person classes we'll do them in connecticut uh or maybe at other um conferences or b clubs we we can travel when things get better we can come to your b club or i'm doing talks also for different b club just like one hour talks and tastings so if you have a club or an organization that's interested you know we can always book one of those really quickly but like the courses take a little bit of time so just follow us on facebook instagram the uh, website and um, you'll find out what's happening you'll be the first to know Very cool. Well, thank you so much for taking your time this evening to join us and to walk us through this entire little experiment on the different honeys. I greatly appreciate it. And Ken, I'm so glad that you actually got to join us. Um, It is, it is dark over there. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty dark out there. It's getting dark. (laughs) Yeah. Ken, Ken again is remoting in from his truck. And so the later we talked the darker it got, he finally turned on the the interior light. (laughs) I turned the light on finally. (laughs) 
Well, thank you for having me and sending me the samples. It was really interesting to try them um, and, you know, try to figure out what we're tasting. It's always fun to do it together with people and um, we can do it again sometime soon. Absolutely. And like I said, I'm, I am totally looking forward to hopefully one day getting to go and, uh, and join you for one of your in-person classes. But I also have some ins here in the state of Texas. So we may uh, look at bringing you down here sometime whenever we are open to do in-person stuff and have you come to one of the Texas Beekeepers Associations, either the Summit Clinic, Summer Clinic or the Fall Convention and have you put on a, a course or something for them there as well. That would be awesome. Yeah, we could do that. I've done it for EAS, the uh, Eastern Apicultural Society. So we did like a three-hour class and I brought everything down and we tasted, um, I think we did like 10 honeys. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And that Very was, cool. That was booked up and then they asked me to do a second one and that had a booked up in a waiting list and they wanted a third one and I said, uh, Yeah. <laughs> But it was really popular and it's really a lot of fun to do it in a group and it's really fun to do it live. So yeah, more fun coming next year, hopefully. That's my thought. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Hopefully 2020 is the end of all this craziness. <laughs> yep. And in meanwhile, we meet on Zoom and it's great. There you go. We can all be together virtually That's and it. still keep our social distance and it's all good. I got to get, are we out of the, Jarrah Bombera, honey, you're out. I'm out of it. We're out of it. Oh, yeah, Catherine. that was it. Cat, a gallon, Catherine. <laughs> Did I send my sample back to you? No, you're oh, fine. No. You're fine. Oh. No. <laughs> yeah, we were we were purposefully holding on to that till the day we could do this, and so it was really hard to even be able to maintain that tiny little square of comb. <laughs> Oh, God. buttered popcorn. I'll never forget it. <laughs> yeah, that is very awesome. Well, we will go ahead and wrap everything up here for everybody. Um, Marina, thank you again very much for joining thank us. You. It was our pleasure definitely to have you here and, and have you share your knowledge. And uh, everybody else out there, thank you for tuning in. And we have more fun stuff on the way for everybody. But um, until then, go ahead, Ken, because you know you're going to steal mine. Family, y'all be good. Stay healthy, and we'll just make it a little better next time. There you go. Be safe, and Marina, give us a bee-themed ending. <laughs> Eat more honey. There, there you go. Eat more honey. Eat more bee <laughs> honey. That'll work. Eat more beekeepers honey. There you That's go. <laughs> Buy local, everybody. Buy your own beekeepers honey. Only eat expensive honey. <laughs> That's right. It's got to be over $7, preferably 10, 10 at the, the minimum. That's it. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Okay. Thanks. Bye now. Thank y'all. You've been listening to The Hive Jive. We appreciate you joining us on our beekeeping adventures. And you can find out more information about today's episode online at thehivejive.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Oh,